After an introduction like that, I'm disappointed when I realize I'm the speaker. So, uh, <laughs> what a great thing it is for me to be able to bring you greetings from Pepperdine University. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever been out to the campus uh, at Malibu. I think we've got a shot. There we go. Yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous place. And uh, since uh, 1937, when a gentleman from Kansas who started a company called Western Auto and had a bunch of money and wanted to decide what to do with it, decided to invest it in Christian education, and began a school in, uh, in downtown L.A., really in the Watts area. It grew there until they outgrew the campus, and in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, we moved to Malibu. What in the world are we doing in Malibu, right? Uh, we started with 14 students in 1939, and now have 3,000 undergraduate students, another 3,000 graduate students in uh, law and public policy, in graduate schools of education and psychology and business. And so I just ask for your prayers because Pepperdine does not exist just to give kids an education. There's plenty of places you can go, plenty of fine schools in our state. I went to the University of California, Irvine. My wife got her master's at Cal State Fullerton. There's a bunch of great places where you can go and get an education. But Pepperdine's goal is to make sure that excellence in education is matched with a Christian commitment to the truth of who Jesus is. And so we, we appreciate your prayers and want to be a, a gracious and open host. And so we do have, in the first week of May, uh, a little conference we call the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. And we try and do this in a way that is a gift. It's basically free. I think this year they want 20 bucks or something, but if you can't afford that, come anyway. It begins on a Tuesday night, and this year's theme is cruciform. If you go to the next slide, case, thanks. Uh, we're going to be studying about the, the nature of the cross and how it shapes us. And a gentleman named N.T. Wright, who's a wonderful Christian author, will open our lectures on Tuesday evening. We've got about 300 presenters from all across the country who will be there. And here's the good news. If you'd like to come and you're thinking, man, that's a long hike to drive out to Malibu, because our dorms are empty, we actually... Uh, will uh, rent you a, a room for four nights for a total of 150 bucks. That's not per night. That's for all four nights. And you can come and enjoy some beautiful coastal weather and also enjoy fellowship with about 4,000 Christians from all over the nation. So some of the guys are saying, there's the anniversary trip I can afford, honey. All right, we're, 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 we're going we're to go to Malibu. We'd love to have you come. And I'll be happy to share, answer more questions afterwards. But it's a fun, fun week. Uh, I know that in years past, Bruce and others have, have taken part in it. And Bruce, thank you for bringing up a lot of sweet memories. Uh, you know, I remember when I was just a little child hearing Bruce speak and preach. And so it's... Um, it's um, and I'm glad his daughter Jane is with them this morning. So uh, isn't it good to have family? Can I get an oh yeah? 
Maybe you're like me. Maybe it's the first time you've been. It's not the first time I've been in this building because uh, I remember being here years ago. But maybe you're, you're relatively new here. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what you've walked into. You've walked into a room with a bunch of people who all agree on a few things. We all agree that we don't have it all together. Can I get a oh yeah? Right there? Right? I mean, just look around. Even the person you rode here with, you don't have to ask, right? We don't have it all together. But we do believe that there is a God who so loved us that he gave his son that we might have a way to live. Even as imperfect people, we might have a way to live in a family together through Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, who so changed the world that there's been no one like him before or since. You're in a place where people believe that Jesus is Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Where we are called to live like Jesus. Man, there's a mouthful, isn't it? Live like Jesus. Love my neighbor as I love myself. Do unto others as you'd have them. What's the rest of that? Do unto you. Forgive even as you've been forgiven. Wow. What a challenge. We're not here to sit around and say, okay, now we've got the answer. We're here to say, how can we live out that answer? In loving the people of Whittier and loving the people of Southern California, in forgiving, in caring, in serving. And by the way, praise God for the way this church through the years has been a lighthouse of service, a lighthouse of service to young people, to the needy. Praise God for the example that you're setting. So if you're new here like me, if you've, maybe this is the first time here, I hope you know you've stumbled into a wonderful place, and they are glad you're here. Can I get all the Crosspoint folks to say, oh yeah? Yeah, oh yeah, we're, they're, they're glad you're here. So I hope you get a chance to, to get to know some of the folks here, and Bruce and others, and, um, and I hope you come back again. I get a chance to be here with you one day, and I thought, man, what's, what's the one thing that's been helpful to me that I might be able to share from God's Word? And it made me think about moving back to California. We've just been back a year and a half or so, my wife and I have. And one of the wonderful things out here is the weather, and my wife is a runner, and so... Um, we, um, we actually went and ran the Long Beach Half Marathon. Um, here's a phrase that I learned. Starting is easy. Can I, can I get a general oh yeah from you on that? I mean, it's, it's the new year and we've all got these you know, resolutions that we made. Starting something is really pretty easy. Now, you need to understand, my wife will get on me later for this, I'm not a runner. I was not a runner. My wife was a runner in, in junior high and high school, and then later on she got kind of into the marathon thing. I remember watching her run her first marathon in San Diego with her brothers. Marathons had never been a big deal. Like, you know, why, why are people, that's, you know, well, that's why God gave us cars. You know, you want to go, go 26.2 miles, you know, get a car, get a bike. But, but these people are running. And so she got excited about doing this in honor of her brother who passed away. And so we, we drove down to San Diego, and it was electric. There were over 40,000 people running in this race. And so there's crowds, and I'm taking pictures. People say, you didn't run? I said, no. Somebody's got to be there to give her water and say, go. And so that, that was my job, and to take pictures. 
You get to the end and they've got these bleachers. And so I went and sat in the bleachers with, you know, probably 10,000 people just, just in the bleachers, screaming and yelling as people came by. And when my wife came running by, 26.2 miles, I mean, I was on my feet and we were cheering and yelling and I ran around to her with this rose that I bought. I bought it right there, paid way too much. And I <laughs> ran around and brought her this, this rose and leaned over the fence because all the runners were in there where they got their medals and sat on the bags of ice, you know, because their, oh, their legs are killing them. And my, she was all sweaty, but I was so proud of her. You know, sometimes you see somebody do something like that, and you get all, you get all juiced up, you get all excited, and you think, yes. I got in the car, and we went and had lunch, and on the way home, I said, Catherine, that was so cool. And she was a little surprised, because I hate running, right? And then I said it. You know, sweetie, I bet I could do that. And my wife turned to me and lied to me. She said, why, sure you could. <laughs> we got home and went to Coles or Ross's, I forget, you know, and, and bought some running shoes and running shorts. I mean, you know, the kind where you look fast, standing still, the shirt, the whole thing. We went out to the YMC track one night that week, and she said, okay, now we're going to start easy, okay? This is a third of a mile track, so we're going to run around this track nine times, Okay. Just, but, but no rush. No, we're just going to just kind of you know, take it easy. Even if we only do three times, that's okay. That's a mile. Three times is a mile. And I'm like, get out of my way. We got this. I'm figuring we'll do five miles tonight, right? So just take it easy. So off we start running. Man, I felt so good. I mean, seriously, for the first like 20 seconds, it was, it was just great. And then my legs began to talk to me. What are you thinking? Farthest as as you've run is a refrigerator, you know, in a long time. And then my back. And, 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 and after one whole loop, a third of a mile, dude, my lungs were like, whoa, this is not good. This is not good. And I started getting tired and, and cranked. I found out something that night. There's that movie, Chariots of Fire. You guys remember that movie? In Chariots of Fire, the guy has this line, and this is my wife. He says, when I run, I feel the smile of God. I found out when I run, I know what hell is like. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, how do you do this? How do you run that far? And then I read something. I was like, bing. The secret to running long distances is you only do it, everybody say one step, one step at a time. It's not about running 26.2. It's not about running 13.1. It's not about running, okay, we're going to run five miles. No, 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 just one more step. By the way, that's secret to a long marriage too, isn't it? Can I get an oh yeah? I don't mean all the painful part. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's one more step. Grandma and Grandpa have been married 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years. How do you do it? Everybody say one step. One, one, one step at a time. How do you stay focused, though, so that each day... It's the Christian walk. You're baptized into Jesus Christ. If you've never given your heart and life to Christ, I hope you will sincerely think about it because it's the best decision you will ever make. Can I get an oh yeah on that? 
the best decision you'll ever make. And I know there's folks who would be willing to study with you, but some of you may have been coming to this church for a while now, and you've never done that. You've never said, all right, I believe that Jesus is Lord and been baptized, that death, burial, and resurrection. If you haven't taken that step, I, I, I pray today you'll think about it because it is one step along the journey, but it's just one. Because every day, every day, and I know I'm speaking to some folks in this room, there are probably some, some folks who've gone through difficult times. Maybe you have a disabled child. Maybe you've lost a spouse you didn't expect to be out of your life. Maybe you're struggling to raise somebody else's kids. One step, one step, once each day. But the question is, where do you get the juice for that? Where do you get the strength for that? Where do you get it? And that's the verse I want to share with you today. It comes from the book of Hebrews. A book whose author, we know, of course, God is the author, but, but whose author, we're really not sure, but this, this person seemed to understand something about Jesus and the nature of how to follow him. And he writes in the 11th chapter of Hebrews what, what I call a series of God's sizzle reels. Now, anybody know what a sizzle reel is? Anybody in the industry? that Okay. My son works in videography, and he had a buddy who got a job working for Fox Sports doing sizzle reels. Now, when I tell you, you're going to go, oh, I've seen a million sizzle reel. Here's what the sizzle reel is. Say you're watching an NBA game or an NFL game, and they get right up to the commercial, and then the last three or four or five seconds before the commercial, they play the music and they show two or three shots of the coolest thing that happened during that time. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two, sometimes the three-point shot, and then the block, and then the guy, whoo, afterwards, whatever it was, right? Sometimes it's an end zone dance and the, and the football being caught. Do you know there's one guy or gal who does that? They sit in the truck, and they watch the game happen, and they grab shots. Oh, that was cool. Oh, that was amazing, because they don't know till the last 10 seconds what's going to be the big play. Then during the last 10 seconds, the director says, sizzle reel, go. And they have five seconds to decide this one, this one, no, this one, no, put that one first. Three, two, one, render it, and it goes out on national television. My son said, Dad, a friend of mine got a job doing that. I said, you're kidding. He said, doesn't that sound like a dream? I said, that sounds like a stomachache. You know what I mean? I mean, national TV, and you got to boom, 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 make those decisions. you got to encapsulate this whole period of play down to boom, three seconds. God does that in Hebrews chapter 11. In the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, God will take a story that takes chapters in the book of Genesis and he'll condense it down to one sentence. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? We read it, the first part of it, that this is what the ancients were commended for. Here's how Hebrews 11 opens. It was the reading we had. Faith is, con is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients, that is, these people from history, this, this is what they were commended for. And then he starts into this series where he will tell an entire huge... Well, here, let me show you one. Put, put up Noah's. Put up Noah's, the first one here. Okay. By faith, can, in fact, let's read it out loud together. We got it here. By faith, Noah, when about things not yet in holy, built in. Okay, you read that in the book of Genesis, uh, that, reading that story would take you 10, 15 minutes. You just did the whole thing, just like that. You see what I mean? He kind of encapsulated it down, boom. 
What do we put in Noah's story? You've got to have the ark. That's his three-point shot, right? I mean, that's the big thing we know Noah for. We don't want to put a part about him being drunk and all that. We're just going to put the, you know, put, put the ark moment there. Now, it gets tougher with Abraham. Abraham's story is chapters and chapters in the book of Genesis. It would take you maybe 30 minutes to read through all of Abraham's story or longer, depending on how fast you read. God condenses it down to just a few verses. Anybody remember Abraham's story? Just nod. Make Pastor Bruce feel good. Just nod. Abraham, not Lincoln. We're, we're, talking, we're talking the Old Testament Abraham, right? Do you remember this, this, this man that God calls and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your people. And I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. Remember that story? And he has to leave everything he knows. And God doesn't tell him where he's going. God has a habit of doing that. God doesn't say, here's the plan for your life. He just says, follow me. That's why Jesus called his disciples, follow me. That's kind of scary for us, because we like being in control. We want our phone and our GPS. Right? I want to know where I'm going, and I want to know how long it's going to take me to get there, because we've seen enough movies that if somebody says, hey, get in the car, where are we going? Don't worry about it. <laughs> You're not going to be in the next scene of the movie, dude. God says, Abraham, come leave your family and your country and go to a place I'll show you. Where are we going? God says, don't worry about it. It's promised land. I'll show you when we get there. And Abraham packs up. Can you imagine him putting all this stuff on his donkey? And the neighbor says, where are you going? Abraham says, I have no idea. (laughs) Well, how are you going to know when you get there? God's going to guide me and he's just going to tell me. He'll say, stop and we'll be there. So how does the Hebrew writer encapsulate it? By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he'd later received as his inheritance, read these words with me, obeyed and went, even though he... Boom, there's his story. So you see how God does that? So I start flipping through, because these are marathoners. These are people who for years were faithful, believing, trusting in God. And I remembered my mom, Mildred Walling, who was one of Bruce's Bible class teachers, her favorite Old Testament character. Some of you will know him. He was the 11th son of a guy who had 12 sons. His father's name was Jacob. And he was Abraham's grandson. Abraham, Isaac was his son, and then Jacob was his grandson. Now this grandson had 12 kids, but the 11th kid became famous. In fact, the 11th kid was loved by his dad better than any of his brothers. How do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us that Jacob loved this boy so much that he brought him a coat of many colors. Anybody remember what that boy's name was? Joseph. That's exactly right. Joseph. I hadn't thought much about Joseph's story in a long time, and I started rereading, and I thought, how is the Hebrew writer going to get this story down to one verse? Because Joseph's story is huge. It's one of the longest stories in the book of Genesis. Joseph's story lasts for 110 years worth because that's how long he lives. He starts out as a young man with all these older brothers and daddy loves him best and daddy gives him this coat. By the way, what do you think all his older brothers thought when dad walks out with this knockout coat, right? He's like giving a tux to a farm boy and he walks out there and he walks past the oldest and the second and Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, no, Dan, Naphtali, Gad and gets down to the second youngest brother and gives him this present. Don't you know his older brothers loved him in that moment? <laughs> to make it worse, Joseph would wake up and say, "Hey guys, I had an amazing dream last night." 
Some of you remember this from reading the Bible, right? Joseph said, I had an amazing dream last night. I dreamt that you guys were all stars. And his brothers are like, yeah, that's the right dream. And daddy was the sun and mom was the moon. And then you all bowed down to me. That's a, that's a dream older brothers could get into, isn't it? I mean, weren't they saying, I am so sick of this stuck-up kid, and daddy loves him best. Let me tell you what happens in the story. They get so angry and so frustrated with him and so feeling just that they kill him. Well, they don't kill him. They try to. They get him, they throw him in a well, and they want to kill him. But one of the brothers says, no, no, we can't kill him. And so there's some traders coming by, and they sell him to some Ishmaelite traders who take him away from the family all the way up to Egypt. He is gone, sold into slavery. Oh, by the way, they keep the coat. They dip it in goat's blood, and they take it back to dad and break his heart. Father, we're so sorry. Joseph's dead. So here's Joseph, taken from his family. His father thinks he's dead. His brothers are like, yeah, got rid of him. And what happens to Joseph? How would you feel? Eh, Scholars argue about how old exactly he was. But I'm just going to grab the year 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there. You're yanked out of your family. You're sold into slavery by your brothers. You're taken to Egypt, and in a land where you don't know the language and you don't know the cultures, all of a sudden somebody's saying, hey, you, boy, get over here. He's bought by a guy who owns and runs the prison. His name is Potiphar. And so he's cleaning out cells. Now, the good thing is, because Joseph loves God, he really honors God. And the Bible says that he becomes the head of the prison because it's like the the prison owner goes, man, you're awesome, good. I'm going to make you the head of my prison. You're thinking, wow, he's gone from being a slave to getting advanced. And then there's this little problem. (laughs) Potiphar has a wife. And the Bible says she spotted Joseph because he was, Bible verse, handsome and well-built. I know many of the guys here know what a burden it can be (laughs) to be handsome and well-built, right? And so Potiphar's wife is like, dude, hey, what's your name? Boy, whoa. So the boss's wife comes on to Joseph, and she is forward. And when her husband is away, she finally says, hey, come to bed with me. You tell me, guys. You're 19, 20 years old. The boss's wife, this is a woman of power, says, hey, you're my servant, follow me. And starts to lead you to the bedroom. Why, to refuse her could put you in danger. Let me tell you what Joseph does. Joseph is like, no way, ma'am, sorry, no. I could not dishonor God, and I would not dishonor your husband. This is wrong. She is so frustrated. The Bible says day after day she kept coming at him. And finally, she grabbed him. She's like, okay, fine, blame it on me. And she grabs him and starts dragging him to the bedroom. Joseph lets the coat that he's wearing slip into her hands, and he runs out. Coats are important in his story, right? He runs out, and she's left holding this coat, and she is mad. Problem is, she's holding the coat when her husband walks through the door. Guess what your servant tried to do to me? He tried to rape me. What? Joseph did that? Man, Potiphar grabs Joseph, and he is demoted. In fact, he's thrown in prison. By the way, was that his fault? Come on, was that his fault? Did he do the right thing? Hello? What would you be thinking if you did the right thing, and boom, you're thrown in prison? It's like, God, hello. First you take me from my family. Then you make me a slave. Then this woman comes into my life. 
at what point would you and I start saying, I'm done with this marathon. I'm not, I'm not going one more step. Because this is not working out like it's supposed to. You ever prayed that prayer? You ever had a moment when you say, God, I prayed no cancer. I prayed she'd be healthy. I prayed he wouldn't leave me. Joseph knows that feeling. And while he's in that prison cell, he just puts one foot in front of the other and keeps trusting God. I've got to make this long story short. He's in that prison cell with a guy who's a former cupbearer to the king and a former baker to the king, but they both were accused. And, and they both have weird dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams and says to the baker, I'm sorry, dude, you're going to die, and says to the cupbearer, you're going to be returned to service, and both dreams come true. And as the cupbearer goes back to serve the Pharaoh, Joseph is like, remember me? And the cupbearer says, you bet, and he forgets. Years later, Pharaoh gets up one morning and says, man, I had the most awful dream. And if you're the leader of all the land, everybody goes, oh, tell us. And so Pharaoh says, well, I dreamed there were seven fat cows that came up out of the Nile River, but right behind them came up seven really skinny cows. And the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows, but the seven, fat cow, the seven skinny cows didn't gain any weight. I'm thinking, that's the diet I'm looking for, right? You know, all the, all the beef you can eat. And so, so he says, this is the strangest thing. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer goes, wait a minute, Pharaoh. I know a guy who does dreams. Boom, he runs down, he gets Joseph. Guess who's standing in front of the most powerful man in the world? Joseph. And the Pharaoh says, can you interpret my dreams? And Joseph says, well, not really. The cupbearer's like, what? He says, no, no, I can't, God can. He says, tell me your dream, and Pharaoh does. And he says, oh, well, Pharaoh, what you're dreaming about is seven years of really great harvests, that's the fat cows, and seven years of famine, that's the skinny cows, and the grain from the good years won't be enough to last the grain that you'll need through the famine. And the Pharaoh says, wow, well, then I need somebody to organize, and it's going to be you. And before you know it, Joseph is promoted to vice president of Egypt. I'm serious. He lives there for decades. People coming before him saying, please help us, help us. Well, the famine gets back down into Canaan, and guess who comes walking through the door of the great hall and falls down on their knees before the vice president of Egypt, Joseph, Anybody tell me who it is? His brothers! It's the dream! Only they don't know it, right? Joseph recognizes them, but Joseph's lived in Egypt all this time. So he, as best we can tell, dressed, you know? I mean, he talked like an Egyptian and walked like an Egyptian. I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So, so here he is. They don't recognize him. They've fallen down on their knees. Joseph is looking down and goes, oh, it's my brothers. Now you tell me what you would do if the people who had messed up your life are all of a sudden in front of you, and all you have to say is, kill him. He could do that. But he doesn't. He is forgiving. i got to tell you, that's a step in a marathon that's hard to make. Can I get an oh yeah on that? Somebody messes with you. Somebody, somebody takes advantage of you. Somebody screws you over, and you find yourself saying, dude, I am through with you. And God says, forgive others even as I have forgiven you. Joseph says, guys, I mean, he yanks around the chain with Benjamin a little bit, but he finally says, guys, it's me. And they all are like, 
oh no, <laughs> you know. He says, no, 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 don't be afraid. What you intended for harm, God used for good. And so he saves them and he feeds them and he brings his dads up and there's this wonderful reunion and he lives to be 110 years old. Wow, what a movie, right? Now, I want you to tell me which one of those moments you'd put in a one-sentence summary of Joseph's life. Would you put the dreams? Or, or the forgiveness? Or him straight-arming Potiphar's wife? Ladies and gentlemen, here's what the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 11.22 says. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Who was in the truck and picked that verse? That's what I want to know. <laughs> of all the things that Joseph does, you're telling me that's the thing that's huge? I read that six times thinking, what am I missing? Bruce, what am I missing? By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning his bones. So I went back. If you've got your Bible with you, turn over to the book of Genesis. The, the moment in his life is the very last few paragraphs of the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis has, has 50 chapters. Here's the last few verses of Genesis, the last chapter of it. Genesis 15 and 22 says, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family and lived to be 110 years old. The next verse tells us that he bounced great, great grandkids on his knee. You got the picture? Now Joseph is old man. He's got great grandkids. And then verse 24 then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. Well, he's 110, so he probably said, I'm about to die. <laughs> but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to, to who? Say it out loud. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wait a minute. Do you know how long it has been since that promise was made? That promise was made to great great-grandpa. I'm going to give you the promised land. And it didn't happen. And it was made to his son. And it didn't happen. And it was made to his son's son. And it didn't happen. And now Joseph is about to what? What's he about to do? Die. And he calls the family together. And he says, I'm about to die, but God will surely, can you guys say surely? surely. I mean, really like you mean it. God will surely. come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will, everybody say surely, surely. come to your aid and then you must Carry my bones up from this place. Do you know what he's telling them? Guys, this isn't home. Don't bury me here. When I die, put my bones in a, in a rollerboard, you know, put them in an in a RV, put them in a cardboard box, put them in something you can carry. Great grandpa, what in the world are you talking about? And he must have called the little kids around him and said, now listen. Tristan, you in the back row. Here we go. Listen. I'm making you a promise. Even though you may not believe it right now. Even though you may say, our pastor has been telling us for the last 20 years 
Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. One day we're going to go to heaven. Jesus is coming. Guess what? His pastor used to tell him that. And the pastor before him used to tell him that. And the minister before him used to tell him that. I mean, don't you think some of those young kids would have said to, if great-grandpa starts the promised land thing again, I'm going to throw up. I am so sick of it. It's like, give it up. We're Egyptians. We live in Egypt. This is our life. That story is dead and gone. It's not going to happen. It's the little old lady. Who, where are you going? Going to buy one more lottery ticket. Sweetheart, sweetheart. You've been buying lottery tickets for 80 years, but today's the day. Oh, baby. <laughs> Come on, man, buy some milk, buy some bread. Don't, don't waste on a lottery ticket. Oh, I think I know it's going to be the day. Generations who said, God will surely, and God didn't. God will surely, and it seemed God didn't. And so here's Joseph, 110. Look me in the eyes. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. What's that old hymn? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's what he told them. That's the three-point shot. It wasn't any big thing he did from the standpoint of great works. It was being faithful until he finally died. I met a row of great young people here. They're sitting up there in the back. Tristan, wave. Dude, thanks. In fact, get the whole, get the whole back row to, to give, us a, give us the wave there. Awesome. There's a whole group of middle schoolers on the very back row. And I told them, I said, if I can keep your attention, I'm golden. Okay, all right. Do you know that they are wondering if you guys really believe what we've just talked about? They're wondering if you guys really believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he is worth everything and one day he is coming back for us. Amen? They're wondering whether we believe that if we put him first and if we are faithful in our marriages and if we are strong in our commitments and if we stay faithful to Jesus, one day we're going to go live with him. Joseph says, don't forget, look where you're going. Look where you're going with your finances. Invest in eternity. With your time, invest in eternity. Because God will, everybody say surely, surely come to your aid. <coughs> i got to quit. we got to say a prayer. Listen close. You will make decisions this week. Yeah, come on up, guys. You'll make decisions this week based on this. Do you believe this world is your home or do you believe there's a promised land and we need to live for that amen because if this world is my home grab all you can get right now seriously man just grab it you only go around once in life just grab it if you've got a chance for an extramarital affair and it looks fun grab it if you can lie and cheat make a couple extra bunts bucks grab it if you can take advantage of somebody and get their spot, take it. Unless, unless we're here because we actually believe 
that God will surely come to our aid. And all those runners in the book of Hebrews have said, take one more step. Maybe you're thinking about quitting. A marriage? Commitment? A walk with Jesus? Maybe you're struggling saying, God, this is not what I thought. Joseph reaches out his hand to you across centuries and places it on your shoulder and says, one more step. Do the next right thing. Will you bow with me? Father, thank you for Jesus, who is our hope, who is our Lord, who is our King, and who is coming one day. God, we don't know when, but we believe that he's coming and we want to be ready. So, Father, first I pray for those here who have never given their heart and life to Jesus, who have never been baptized into Christ. God, I pray that even this morning, when the, when the band plays this song, that somebody here might step out and say, you know what, I need to do that. And whether they walk down to the front and take a seat on the front row while this song is sung, or, or, or they grab Pastor Bruce or somebody afterwards and say, I want to I give my life to Jesus. And God, I don't know if they're 13 year old and 10 years old or 12 years old and sitting on the back row of this church right now. Or Father, whether they're 20 or 30 or 40 and they've never, they've never given their heart and life to you. God, I pray this morning they would take the one step that is their next step. But God, there's a bunch of us that have already done that. And we're sitting here in a service that's already run long. And Father, we're thinking about where we need to go next. But Lord, you got us here for us to open God's word together. So I want to pray for some husbands and wives whose next step may be to say, honey, I'm sorry. I want to pray for some young people whose next step may be to say, you know what? I want to think about ministry. I want to pray for some seniors or, or friends here at church who have never invited a soul to come to church with them to leave this service saying, you know what, the next step I need to do, I'm, bring, I'm bringing my neighbor next week. Or Father, I, I want to pray for some Christians here. We've got some stuff that's stuffed in the corners of their lives or tucked in the bottom part of their drawers or in the back of their computer that they hope nobody knows about. Habits that are eating up their soul. Father, that they will seek out somebody today and say, I don't want to go home from church feeling gross and guilty. I want to go home feeling great. So, Father, when we sing this song, I pray if there are those that need to make commitments, that need to make renewals, that need to just say, pray for me, I need to start over, or pray for my marriage, or pray for my integrity. God, Satan hopes we'll just all stand up and sing this song on autopilot. But I pray there are folks who will step out and maybe even come down and sit on this front row and say to Pastor Bruce, I just want you to pray for me. I want to make a change today. I need to get back on the marathon one step at a time. And Father, may we feel the hand of Joseph, and of Abraham, of Jesus on our shoulders, saying, you don't walk alone. One more step. One more step. Until like so many that we think of who stepped into eternity and into your arms, Father, may we surely believe, and may those who watch us see our faith acted out. I pray this in Jesus' holy name, and all that agree say, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would. And while we sing this last song, whether you are all the way in the back of this church, or 
right down here on the floor. If you've got a need today, don't leave here saying, man, I ought to do better. Leave here saying, you know what? I want to take a step to make a change. And if that's you, and while we sing this song, this front row is open for you. Won't you come if you're in need? Won't you come?